he tries to steal the thing. Where did you gets- come from, Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Because science. That, that kind might, of. That might have been my line, actually. I mean, <laughs> I, you, I contributed very little to the show. <laughs> Nerd On. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Nerd On, the podcast you didn't need, but you deserve, and where all levels of nerd are welcome. We have a very exciting episode for you. Um, Way back when, when the pyramids were still young, we were at San Diego Comic-Con 2019, and we met our guest. He is a writer, as you heard at the top, for an ample, the the notable works. I'm just going to... Go just. I'm gonna roll the roll the paper. All of them. T.J. Hooker, Spider-Man, the animated series, Batman and Superman, the world's finest, Superman, the animated series. The the list goes on and on, and on and on, and it's amazing. And we're so happy to have you here, Stan. Thank you for joining us and our audience. Happy to be here. A um, little bit of housekeeping. I am Josh. I'm Tom. Ollie. Caitlin. And this episode is brought to you in part by the members of the Nerd On Nation that is powered by Patreon. Patreon. As members of the Nerd On Nation, you do get fun stuff, like a Discord server in which you can talk to us, the host. Also, a whole bunch of other fans that are in there talking about gardening and comic books and pets, do cooking. Do-it-yourself do projects. Yeah, do-it-yourself yeah. is now a new one, which is, and today I learned, there's a lot going on, uh, bonus episodes, early access, a lot. Uh, but yeah, check that out, nerdon.io backslash Patreon. And one last, because it's really, it really applies here, our friends over at Comixology. You can check them out. They are the internet's number one source for comic books. <laughs> and a little bit of every purchase does go to us keeping the lights on. But yeah, check that out. Nerdon.io backslash Comixology. And that is the housekeeping. Ding. Now we can actually have fun. <laughs> now we can have some talking. So yeah, you get uh, Stan, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, big time. Uh, our, all of our audience, I'm sure, has at some form of fashion watched or is familiar with your work in some place in their childhood dreams. And, you know, I think you, you definitely hear it more than often than most people like you help create people's childhood. Some of the like most craziest sagas, at least some of my favorite episodes of certain shows like Justice League and Spider-Man, uh, like good. Neogenic Nightmare, Sins of the Father. So like all, all the great sagas that happen in those shows, like you help create. Uh, I mean, again, like Josh said, we can go through the list of all the things we did, but I mean, I think we're just going to uh, be here. to. Hang are you out. more of a Marvel guy? Uh, I'm I'm a little bit of both. I'm actually pretty hard on the DC lo- like he's DC I, boy. I love yeah. the DC stuff, but I've you know I you're, grew up watching the X Men, Spider Man. You're more critical of, uh, uh, of DC. I think since I've been more exposed to DC, I am able to see it for all the strengths and opportunities as well. But I mean, I've I've stayed closer to the DC characters than I have with the Marvel characters. But I, I like to think I have a good general you know. Balance. Casual knowledge of all of them. Casual. <laughs> he says casual. casual. You know, um, just watching all the DC shows more than once. Well, <laughs> why don't we start with like a, a nice solid foundation question. How did writing for all of these superheroes come into your life? How did that that start? Just, just purely by accident. I mean, yeah? you know, you, you, yeah. seriously, you hear, you hear these stories, but my agent set me up with a meeting with so-and-so. That's exactly what happened. Nice. I'd wow. Been do, I'd been doing um, police type shows. Oh, wow. Um, uh, the TJ Hooker, which you mentioned, yeah, um, a little bit on Mike Hammer, another show called Houston Nights, and 
the agent one day just simply called and said, Hey, do you want to go to Orlando for a year? And I said, for what? And he goes, a show called Superboy, mm-hmm. which had already had two seasons and they needed, um, they were kind of revamping the show. Yeah. And, um, I went and I was interviewed along with several other candidates for the job. Whoa. And I, and I got it. And it was just as simple as that. I had no experience mm-hmm. except as a casual reader of comic books when I was a kid. I mean, wow. I think that's the best experience, right? The one, to the, be a the, fan. one, the reason I got the job was apparently that none of the other writers who went up for the job had even seen the show. Oh, and wow. I had, I had seen Superboy's earlier seasons. Wow. So I was able to talk about it a little bit and they were really impressed with that. That's yeah. great. If, but that gives them a bit more confidence as far as like your ability an interest to in the material. maintain the show. That's yeah. one of those few times where watching TV pays off. <laughs> right. It, it, always pays, it, it always pays off. That's true. It does. Watch it does. more TV, kids. Watch more TV. <laughs> uh, for some of our audience that haven't watched Superboy, do you mind kind of giving us a little bit of rundown of like what that show was? Because it was in a different time. Like right now we're in the big, you know, movie blockbuster right. age. And, you know, we have CW as well as Netflix and all these other different shows. But this this th- is real early stuff. Yeah. I mean, talk yeah. about um, I think that prior to Superboy, the only thing that I recall as being a, a superhero TV series was Superman with George Reeves. Yeah. Wow. So this was um, new stuff. They were shooting in a new place, Orlando, which had studios, but really not a, not a big reserve of talent, which was why they had to fly people like me in from L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, Half-hour shows, live action, um, early days of uh, video video uh special effects yeah so some of the early on super practical <laughs> mostly but some of some of the video effects some of the effects are kind of crude oh. especially especially in the early seasons yeah and then they, they got better and better because that was right at the time that the, the people were doing more and more video effects i'm yeah. sure it was a spectacle at the time though still at that time i don't know i mean the ratings were not terribly good no oh. tv shows tend to wax and wane just between different seasons especially as like production gets better like sometimes you know narrative or whatever the audience might change or move to something else yeah it just kind of depends especially with superhero stuff it's hard to you know make sure you're getting the right demographic of like kids to teens to adults right they brought me in because of my background which mm-hmm. was more adult it wasn't mm-hmm. kids tv nice so they were hoping to do that and then of course the problem is <laughs> Maybe, maybe what you had was the best you could do, mm. and maybe by trying to move it, trying to get a larger audience, you in fact get a smaller audience. Mm. You lose the people who liked it, and you don't really yeah. appeal to the people. You might alienate people, mm-hmm. right? In in doing these um, uh, shows like Public Enemies and um, New Frontier, that was the question because they're they're a little bit more adult. They're PG thirteen yeah. rated, and hell yeah, and I. I yeah. <laughs> and and I, I sort of worried, you know, were, were we going to, were we going to lose the kids? We, we you know, we're going to chop off part of the, the young kid audience, but will we appeal enough to the adults to make up for it? So that, that was a real concern when we were, when we were doing this. You know, yeah. it's, wow. it's really funny as a, our other host who's not here today, Corey, him and I always, it's not like a laughing matter, but it's more something that we've always bonded and agreed with is that most of the DC animated shows have always kind of had that, that kind of flavor where like oh this is definitely being played during kid times to watch like you know Saturday they morning cartoons treating the kids like idiots they weren't treating right. the kids like idiots but well, also they had subject matter that were like adults could be like oh I'm okay with my child watching this because they're learning from a good source like a positive source of where they can get good lessons of yeah I mean that, that it's very open minded I was doing Spider-Man when when I was when the, the Alan Paul Bruce and the others were doing um, Batman mm-hmm. 
and quite envious. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, I, I, I love the artwork and I love the fact that they were, it, you can't really call it adult. Like you said, it doesn't insult an adult's intelligence, but there's nothing in it that a kid wouldn't understand. I, I remember, I think it was like one of the episodes of Spider-Man, the animated series when Venom. Spider-Man. Yeah, because you worked on Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, when <laughs> when uh, Venom's uh, is going to crash land and one of the characters says, its trajectory will get it to the Brooklyn uh, uh, Bay or the, the the river. And I, for the first time as a, ca- a kid, I was like, what's trajectory? <laughs> and then I was like, whoa. I was like, this, this show's not words. playing around. But then that also, you know, came I, in line with I, I can, can tell you that. that line. Oh. All that vocabulary stuff came from the Fox executive named Sid Iwanter, mm. who's available for an interview, by the way. Oh, <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good I'll to know. His, I'll give you his number. Yes, please. Um, Sid wanted to expand vocabulary. Obviously, he wasn't a guy going for more violence or more sex, but yeah. he did want to expand vocabulary and make the shows more intelligent. And now, something completely different on that same Brooklyn Bridge sequence. We were... We had a terrible problem with Venom because it was very early in the series, as you recall. Yeah. And somebody, some other writer would sit down and write an outline. And uh, and then we had a group of, I think, four people who could judge it. Sid, who I mentioned, he, that's Fox Network. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Richardson, who was, I, I guess he, he was the producer, but he was the, the lead animator. He, he was in charge of everything in terms of the picture and image and all that um avi arad who ran the toy company at that time that Mm -hmm. owned marvel it's connected to everything spider-man now and stan lee Mm -hmm. so if one of them liked the outline for venom someone else didn't and it just became a circle of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and so we gathered all of them I finally, I'd, I I walked up to Stan Lee and I said, Stan, I mean, I'm stealing money from you because I'm just, I, I'm rewriting stuff. And then the guy who I rewrote is going to complain and I'll rewrite, <laughs> I'll push it back to what he was doing. It was just, we weren't getting anywhere. So they all sat down in the same room, all those people, plus John Semper, who is the, the writing producer and me, who I'm basically taking notes. Um, and we, we got to the point where all four of them would sit down and figure out the story for Venom. Wow. It is better to have to work for one person with bad taste than four people with good taste. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Trust yeah. me on that. There's a lot I mean, of chefs in the kitchen. The day went on and on and on. They're bringing in food, you know. Oh, my gosh. Obviously, it's going to story stuff's hard. But regarding the bridge, I don't know if anybody's ever told this part of it. No. It, it, um, the space shuttle mm-hmm. was going to land on Brooklyn Bridge. Avi wanted that. It'd be great to see the space shuttle land on Brooklyn Bridge. But Bob Richardson saying, "Well, wait a minute," and I'm I'm not sure of the of the the compass directions here, but the Brooklyn Bridge goes north south. He might have said, but the space shuttle's orbit is east west, and the space shuttle doesn't have any way to correct itself. It's basically just a, <laughs> a, a it's basically just a brick landing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, is, so he goes, "This is impossible. We can't do it." And everybody else in the room just said, "We're doing it." <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so it did, it did in fact land on the Brooklyn Bridge confounding aeronautics in all possible ways. Yeah, because it was actually at first <laughs> headed towards uh, Kingpin's building, Wilson Fisk's building, and then Fisk was like, we need to go, and then Alistair Smythe says, I'm very good with trajectory, and then it turns, and it hits the bridge. I remember that. Because he knew he knew how it was going. Yeah, but... he knew how, well, he, he, he was you. You guys were like, oh, we know where it's going. <laughs> no, no, we, 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 uh, we went against science mm-hmm. and trajectory 
to have it land on the bridge. On the bridge, because Avi wanted it to land on that bridge. Now we know. And he wanted the ri- <laughs> and he wanted the rhino to show up. He wanted the rhino to show up too. Yeah, he, wow. he, yeah, he showed it there because he st- he he tries to steal the thing. Where did you come goes. from, Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Because science. That, that kind might, of that might have been my line actually. That, I mean, I, you, I contributed very little to these shows. <laughs> I mean, it, I, you know, looking over your credits, like it's just seeing like how you, you know, that's that uh, saga as well as the ne- Neogenic Nightmare, which is, I believe, the introduction of Michael Morbius. Yeah, he was in there, but it, this is about the old guy, the old guy getting young again, or is that a different one? I don't. I think that's another one because there's two Neogenic Nightmare, I think, scenarios in that Spider-Man series. One was when Michael Morbius comes or yeah. is introduced. And another one when uh, the human spider yeah, yeah, starts yeah. coming that, out. Yeah, so. yeah, That was cool. Great imagery on that one. No, yeah. I was like, and that's kind of the cool thing that I liked what the Spider-Man animated series did, you know, you know, before we get into all the great DC stuff you did. Like, <clears> these, the show was just like, it's like very much comic book. It was just like, we're going to do this that was, run. It was John Semper. Yeah. Totally John Semper because he grew up exactly at that, at that period. Mm-hmm. And he wanted it to be exactly like the comic book. Yeah, you would get four episodes like here's Hobgoblin, four episodes here's Green yeah. Goblin, four episodes here's that's like okay, so now yeah. you just get the saga of this and but, how they interconnect. But we introduced Hobgoblin before the Green Goblin. Yes, you did. Which it, was a big change for me. So I I didn't know as a kid this was like yeah. my first uh, You you weren't even reading comic books yet. No, I I you, did You could you read? Were you old enough to read? Barely. Yeah. I mean, I still I, there's some question if I could read now. <laughs> but, it's, it's true very very true uh, but yeah this was like my first that X-Men Batman the animation they were all my first forays into comic books and Spider-Man again like the the language as well as like oh this is what the characters came from and so when a lot of people say that's not my Spider-Man that's not my character it's like well yeah. this was my first one and obviously if someone has an issue with it then there's more versions you know to it. That Spider-Man that we did with John Semper and Stan I, I love that it. was the Spider-Man yeah. I mean I'd read the comic books and i go this is just the comic books ex- tell you exactly what the thing should be, and this is as close as you can possibly get. And then people go, "No, it's, it's not it. It's not <laughs> no, it. it's not it." Well, I mean, yeah, some people look through it through a different prism, but now, I mean, people have a bigger excuse because now there's so many like multiverses and Elseworlds and the Ultimate Universe, yeah. and so it's right. like, and that's and think, retconning and, in, in that mm-hmm. same way. Again, you kind of open the door for more audiences, but then you might have. You know, the, the people who have been there for a lot, you know, be Elliot in a little bit. We were doing that Elseworlds stuff with uh, Superboy in 1990. Yeah. Where he'd go in alternate worlds. Yeah, I mean. Uh, That's a, that was the, the Ron Ely thing I was mm. telling you, where he, he sort of goes in an alternate world and also involves time travel. Mm-hmm. So he meets an older version of himself. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Because so for my, my experience of Superboy, at least from the historical information that I might have, is that you know, there was a lot of writings for Superboy, and then it was kind of like, let's just do the adventures of young Clark Kent. And then, you know... You're thinking uh, of Smallville. Yeah, well, the TV show, but then also just like a younger uh, Superboy, and then he joins the Legion of Superheroes. He goes in the future. Right, that, was the, that was the comic book. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, having the show, com- you know, have that, and it's kind of like figuring out, like, as well, having, like, other characters, like, this is Wonder Girl, as well as Wonder Woman. It's like, how do we start connecting these stories together and so they kind of just lived in their own thing <laughs> the old guys weren't even thinking about that it's yeah. just how do we sell this month's comic book yeah for for my for <laughs> yep. me as i if i speak for the young people we're kind of like oh how do we how, how do we look at how does that fit in because we love those stories and like we like what those adventures took us but how does that connect with you know the daily planet and lois lane and right. the rest of the justice t- league it, it i think the tv and the comic books are two completely different things because mm. like you I started watching superhero stuff before I could read. I was about three years old when uh, Superman, the the Clark, the um, George Reese Superman came out, and 
that that was one thing. And then the comic books, something entirely different. I didn't even know there were comic books mm. until my father brought home uh, an adventure and a, and a detective from 1958. Isn't that kind of crazy, though? Wow. The, I mean, like... You, didn't know. You didn't could, know. You had, like, you already knew, like, what I'm watching and what I'm reading are two different things. Where two a lot, completely different things. A lot of, you know, I think sometimes bigger head developing people have to make those deciding factors saying, like, these are different things. And sometimes a modern audience nowadays don't know the difference. They'll say, oh, Kevin Conroy is that Batman, and that also is him, too. It's like, those are two We're different We're obsessed Batmans. with our universes. Yeah. Well, they get big surprises sometimes. In um, Public Enemies, as a writer, you're thinking, well, some people are just going to pick this up at Walmart, mm-hmm. and they just see Superman and Batman, and they go for it. And then all of a sudden, Lex Luthor's president of the United States? How could yeah. that be? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so we... One of the things we changed from the the comic book was we we had to explain how um, an incompetent industrialist mm-hmm. could become president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Not relevant today at all. <laughs> if, <laughs> if wow! We, if we were doing that today, I, I probably wouldn't have to make so much of an explanation. Yeah. No, I, I mean uh, Frank Miller's uh, recent run, uh, Dark Knight Returns, did a similar thing as well. There was a little nod to uh, to. Present times? Yes, present isn't, time. isn't Frank Miller kind of an arch-Republican? Is that gossip that I've heard that's wrong? Or? Uh, it might, I don't know. It could be, it could be right. I've never met him. I never, I'm not on first name base with but him. How, but, I, but how did the, the comic book? It just showed a, um, an angry person on TV spewing uh, hateful comments. Oh, so, and that's, right. pre- that's our president? In the comic book, yes. All right, so tonight, <laughs> tonight, if you're on H- watching HBO, we have Robert Redford as president of the United States. Oh. Not, a, not an actor, but the, the Robert Redford appearing in the fictional Watchman as, as president of the United oh, States. Oh, yeah. yeah. President, oh. president right. Redford. I give a, a plug to Mr. Lindelof's. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Heck, Heck yeah. It's on, tonight, on just a couple of hours. Yeah, Heck you're right. Yeah. Nice. Um, any other questions? I'm sorry. I'm just like yeah, yeah, of taking course. over the whole thing. So I'm actually really curious about this kind of the before we kind of get specifics into different shows. Can you talk about kind of the process of of writing a show like I mean, you've got live action experience, but you also have, of course, animated experience. How do the two differ in terms of the actual kind of the process of writing for them? They differ very little, surprisingly, really? surprisingly little. Initially, when I started doing animation, my friends in live action said, well, you can do anything. You can blow up the universe. You can do whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you want, right. um, which was true at that point. Um, later on, when you start, when you, when we were doing um, CGI, they literally, what they, they call it building characters, building sets. So you have the same limitations as live action, except the set that they built is only inside a computer. It's not a physical set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have, again, the, the, in CGI, those limitations came up probably within 10 years of when I started doing animation. Oh, like um, what the computer can actually handle? No, what the crew can handle. Okay. Because, um, you know, we're paying them. You know, they, they, they can't be working 24 hours a day. Oh, they, can, yeah. they can only do so much. They can only design so many characters, and they can only design so many sets. Yeah. Mm. So, so that, was, that became a concern very quickly in animation as well as live action. The, other, the only other difference that I can tell you between writing live action and writing animation is that writing animation usually requires to requires the writer to be more explicit in terms of physical action. Okay. You make sure you make sure that the artist can see exactly what you want. Um, in in live action, very often, 
I shouldn't say sometimes traditionally you, you'll have you'll have a writer um, write a scene where um, two adversaries are are going are about to go at each other, and then you just have you know the one word on, or one sentence on the page saying fight scene to be choreographed, mm-hmm. and occasionally usually always the the writer will then say this is what happens after the fight. Yeah. You know, like this guy wins. It's the result. They need yeah. to know that. But basically they just say, well, let's oh, stunt wow. let stuntman figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I imagine whoa. for for drawing since they're gonna be drawing it, drawing yeah, themselves, you get they have to know everything up front. And it sometimes it depends on the studio. Um yeah. Marvel when I worked for Marvel um with Bob Richardson, very explicit. Every punch had to be choreographed. Mm-hmm. But but you know, the next week <laughs> it was I I had one week between the two studios. Over at, at DC, it's like it's a little looser, you know. Like we'll, we'll figure it out. Mm, interesting. Um, so mm. th- th- that was the difference in approaches. But even even at DC, where they're willing to figure it out, you could never get away with saying fight scene to be choreographed. Mm. You, you'd have to give them a pretty good idea. Occasionally, they'll they'll take what you wrote and change it. Mm. Wow! But you give right. them, a, give them a but at least you did your part. Yeah, yeah, you can't. You can't. It would be very unprofessional in in animation for the writer to say, "Well, you fi- you guys figure it out." Yeah, mm-hmm. got to provide some kind of baseline so that they're not just stuck there with a blank page, going, "What do I do?" <laughs> well, usually the the uh, the artist at DC, I'm I'm sure would have ideas. Yeah, it sounds mean, like it. Yeah, each, that, at least with it. and that's kind of I think you know working on a show or especially working with these characters, it's really important to get their physicalities correct. Because I mean, you know, like Batman doesn't fight the same way Superman fights. No, Spider Man doesn't fight the same way Wolverine fights. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, not quite. Depends on the board artist. True, I guess. <laughs> we always it was Superman. We always wondered. You know what were what was the extent of his power? I mean, sometimes he has a hard time stopping a locomotive, but then he can lift a planet. Yeah. So we, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we we worried about that sometimes. Those but are that's, that's, his, that's, those that's, are his off days. Yeah, that's in the comic book too, though, and in the movies. I mean, he turns back time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's the, that first one. around the yep. Yeah, yeah, backwards yeah. around around the earth. Yep. Yeah. Enough times, and you'll that go back totally time. works. Yeah. You make it go backwards, everything's fine. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, in New 52, he's like bench pressing the planet. And in other comic books, he's like using chains to pull a planet away. And it's earth presses, thank you. But then other times he gets <laughs> slapped by Lois Lane. It's like, how, how is her hand not broken? Yeah. Well, you could slap. Well, you take you the slap hit. steel. Yeah. But well, I guess he does the cell too. You know, yeah, you got to take it. A little bit. He's slowing the train slowly <laughs> so that he doesn't hurt the passengers. True, true. Yeah. That, yeah. Catching inertia. He's just being Learning really cautious. The, he's, and he's struggling. I mean, if you look at those, the very early um, Fleischer cartoons, mm-hmm. he's struggling. He's struggling. To, to oh, yeah. That stuff. Yeah, his, his powers have definitely, whack, you know, like grown as the situations would would have it. So. Or shrink. Yeah, shrink, exactly. Because, you know, it's like that's uh, kryptonite, you know, here yeah. and there. Or red red sunlight. Or here's magic. So you can have magic. a bunch of. Yeah, I hated those stories. It's really? interesting. I think I think it's cool, at least for me as a fan of the DC world, where it's like at least you know there's stories like, oh, just those two men in there. Oh, just those two. It's like, well, now just have the magic users have their own fun and do things, and then they use like a Batman or the question as like the audience surrogate of like this is the normal person, but here's Zatanna, here's you know Deadman. Yeah. Uh, do you think it, uh, as we've gotten, I mean, thinking of earlier times and whether it be animation or comics, and now we have nowadays like do you think that these superheroes like their their powers have gotten greater like they've just made them more well i know like specifically superman didn't used to be able to fly right he was he could just jump really far hop over a building that was a really long time ago long time ago 
I mean, I've always had a problem with the flying too because it's physically impossible. I mean, what's he doing to fly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how? Or it, sometimes he just hovers in midair. How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's it's levit. He doesn't really fly. He levitates, mm-hmm. right? Because what if you know if if it's that mighty leap that he takes. That's what they're, they're just gonna go in in one trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would just glide, glide somewhere, glide somewhere. Well, Maybe. sort of. Wonder Woman initially couldn't fly either. She had a jet, and she would no, no, she would um, take like air currents. So that, oh, oh, yeah, it was stupid. Light as a feather. <laughs> I, I remember the jet. That was, in, that was in the comic books. Okay, I remember the jet, and I was like, yeah, why does she have a jet if she can fly? And then you she know, can't fly. And then she had. In uh, I believe in Justice League, she can fly. She did fly. Yeah, and that was they, like, they just decided it. Rich Rich Vogel just said, "Well, she she'll fly. Yeah. Make them all flyers, <laughs> and it'll make it why not simpler." Yeah, and it's like how to, but then they they explained it a little bit with like uh, you know, she can fly using different uh, Themyscarian you know artifacts. Oh, sure. You know? So it's like yeah, I guess like her boots of Hermes or something like that, you know, and that's kind of the thing. But still, it's like how does a man who absorbs sunlight fly? You know, you know, he doesn't have wings. He like, levi- you have to consider. <laughs> you levi- have to consider it levitation. Yeah, because I mean, like with Batman, like in you know live actions, at least you hardly see him ever use his grapple hook. He just jumps off a building and glides around. Like before, yeah. it was like grapple hook, grapple hook, grapple hook, grapple hook. Like that's that's the only way he's moving around. Now, in Spider Man in live action, he has like wings and doesn't really web around too much. Oh yeah, a little a little flying. Squirrel but then that's kind of outfit. like that was like I feel like more of an artist rendering back in the day. But anyways, we we yeah we we you know. Writers take their liberties to tell the stories they want to tell. Hmm. I guess. True. <laughs> was there ever well, a time like you felt like you took a liberty with something? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time? <laughs> no, I mean, really, really. Um, every episode you write, you have to astonish people. Mm-hmm. You have to give them something they haven't seen before. And that's always, and then that falls under your definition of taking a liberty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. You have to push yeah. them. You have to push the characters in different directions have them encounter um, adversaries that they've never encountered before and deal with problems and, and limits and weaknesses that they've never dealt with before all the time, everything you ever do. How do you make it interesting? How do you, yeah, how do you make plots difficult for Superman? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? I mean, it's, you, it's a tough one. You give him the parasite who just sucks his abilities away. <laughs> what? Well, or, I mean, one of the, one of the um, episodes that made me very happy to write was the late Mr. Kent where um, um, that all that was is a problem that Clark had, which is that everybody thought he was dead. Oh, okay. So here's here's Superman going. What am I supposed to do? How am I? How can I be Clark again? And that was a secret identity issue. It had nothing to do with giant gigantic powers or anything. I think those are the mm-hmm. stories that actually tend to like resonate with people the most because it's uh, again you're you're in a way you know people look for superheroes for a little bit of escapism, but then also if you give them a story, it's like oh they're three-dimensional they could live and breathe they could be among us and that kind of allows them to transcend the medium a bit and then you get the super fans so. yeah like tom yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know. was there ever i mean you've mentioned in our conversations of like being a big fan of comics was there ever a chance a time where you got to basically kind of i don't know apply a storyline that you have read and were a big fan of like actually start writing something that was similar to that and that you were got really excited about like well, ooh, i'm writing this you, you mean beside adaptations yeah in a sense i mean there's either adaptations i don't know if i'm wording this correctly but i guess i would consider adaptations if there was ever a chance that or a time that you were like oh this is i'm so excited that i get well, to I did adapt those, t- these those ones too. i was excited about that yeah um 
I know. I, th- I thought this question was going to go in a different direction because <laughs> I, I remember working on Superboy in 1990. Um, and remember the one I told you about um, Ron Ely being the old Superman? Yes. There's also a little boy who played a very young Superboy. So he had him three ages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that one, that little boy, in that world, that little boy is kidnapped by Lex Luthor. Mm. And Luthor uses the kid to do bad things, rob a bank. But he tells the kid, because the kid has an inherent sense of morality, he says, this bank is where all the bad people hide their money. So go in and use your superpowers to break it. So it's all shot and everything. And years and years later, I'm watching an old rerun of the the George Reeves Superman. And it's about an alien from Mars, like a goofy little guy who's an alien. And that exact bit is used where where the, the bad guys... You know, the bad guys manipulate the alien. manipulate him exactly that hmm. way. And I thought, well, I, you know, I remembered it. But I, <laughs> I, I had no wow. memory of it when, when it was written. You had the skeleton on there, and now we're just putting a new face on it, which is... No, I, I didn't. I had no memory yeah. of doing it, but obviously it stayed somewhere in the subconscious. It's cool. I wow. felt, felt embarrassed. I mean, I, I, we, try to, <laughs> we, we try to give credit to the people who do, who do this, the original versions, but that one just slipped by. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, from... Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, you're particularly uh, excited to, to have uh, the kiss se- sequence with Lex Luthor and Amanda Waller. Spoilers. But, uh, no, no, <laughs> no, but, uh, no, I, no, I remembered it from the comic book. He just does, he's crazy. I mean, there's, yeah. no, there's no romantic interest there. He just does. Oh, yeah, does. no. It's just showing his escalation of how this serum is making him go mega maniacal powerful. And then like, oh, even Amanda Waller who's also kind of like in, in some similar leagues in terms of as sinister as he is in terms of against the superhero community is now like, oh, we have to go against him. Yeah. I remember I remember you were saying that uh, when I believe uh, when it was launching out in 2009. Oh, you mean 10 years ago? I'm supposed to remember what I said. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I keep that in mind. <laughs> Tom is like, no, I have my own notes. I've got it. You're good. No, it was just, I mean, it was a great scene that, that was in the comic book. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, why not put it in the... Uh, in, in the animated version. Again, it might be a little creepy for, for kids because mm-hmm. it's not even a romantic kiss. It's just a guy intruding or imposing on a woman. But we needed to show how crazy he was. I yeah. thought it was a good way to do it. You, you, when you adapt something, you always wonder how wedded are the people who've read the comic book to seeing what they, what they see on screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the old days, I mean, there, you know, Books used to be continually adapted to movies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and people would complain, "Oh, it's not as good as the book," or maybe it's better than the book. And there was a whole theory that the worse the book, the better the movie. Oh, uh, interesting. Oh. And would that work vice versa? I'm assuming the better the book, the worse the movie is going to be because it can't. Well, measure people it. are disappointed. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, a really good good book, people are disappointed. Mm-hmm. I remember um, kind of aging out of comic books right around 1961 or so, and started reading novels. But you know. Not really. I guess you shouldn't call them kids' novels, but it's the James Bond books. Okay, okay. Mm. which are very different from the movies, boys and girls. Very different. Oh yeah. Very. Yeah. In and like what ways? Racism, sexism. Oh. Bond. Bond is a uh, kind of a very upper class British guy, and he had the same prejudices that you would expect from a British guy who was born in 1910. Oh. No, I have. So you you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have a good friend who who who's read all the books. my dad's a big fan of the the books and the movies and so he's told me it's like oh i like the movies because they're fun but they're nothing like the, the books. books are way different and there's no humor in them at all yeah wow but that's that was sort of for me the transition was from the comic books books 
you know, things with pictures in them to actual novels. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then of course, right around that time, they started to make the Dr. No came out. So, you know, as a young film critic, yes. <laughs> amateur film critic, it's like, well, this is different. This is better. This is worse. Um, I'll tell you one thing because of the books, I expected Dr. No to be in black and white. Oh, for oh. some reason. Interesting. Cause, yeah. Cause the books had that quality to them. They're like almost a noirish. Would you say that? I haven't read the books personally, so I'm asking for your personal kind of experience. Read, read the scene where he meets Honey Child Rider on the beach for the first time. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> it's it's, you get the racism and the sexism all in one paragraph. <laughs> bang. Oh, wow. Best bang for your buck, apparently. <laughs> wow. But it's very different than how the movie would be. <laughs> well, the movie, yeah. the, the movie just, without him, you know, yeah. you, you didn't hear his thought process. Yeah. So he just, he just sees a pretty yeah. he just sees a pretty girl coming out of the water. But you don't get his inner workings. Yeah. Thankfully. Conveniently yeah. left out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no. you know, and, and anti-Semitic too. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, yeah, if you boy. definitely read the books and then watched the movie and you're like, mm, this man. You just, you well, in the don't... book, in the book, I mean, it, well, even in the movies, the, the sexism is really hard to take. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it's just wow. like, well, I'm done with you now. <laughs> but yeah. he never even would say that. That's true, yeah. It's just like, I'm just not there anymore. Yeah, it's a Bond girl and that's it. On to the next one. On to the next one. 25, 20, was it 25, 26, 26 Bond movies? 25, I think. 25, yeah. Wow. That, that's what it is. That's, just, that's, a, that's an interesting point of view. And I like how that you, you know, since you've had the experience of reading the books as well as then then starting to watch the books, like you kind of, and as well as adapting it, like you kind of get that full circle, like, oh, this is how your brain was, you know, taking that all in. Corrupted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's re- it really, that's, that's accurate to say because- when you're you know, 11 years old and you're reading this stuff, you're going, well, this is what adulthood's going to be like. Mm, oh, yeah. And it's <laughs> nothing <laughs> like that at all. It is not that, boys and girls. Right. No. One bit of trivia, I got George Lazenby a job. Ooh, oh, really? Majesty's Secret Service, baby. Yeah. He, um, he worked on Superboy, but that's not the job I got him. Okay. Um, There's a show called Cover Up that Glenn Larson produced. It was about um, kind of espionage. Okay. And there was an episode that I wrote on, um, it was set on a, a cruise ship where there was a lot of gambling going on. And it was sort of kind of based on Casino Royale. The original Casino Royale? The book. Okay, the book, okay, the book. Where it's, you know, the, the, the good guys use a card game to deprive a bad guy of his money. Yes. That was part of it. And the other part of it was kind of Agatha Christie where people keep dying in it. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and, and I wrote the script and I said, hey, you, to the producer, hey, have you thought about hiring George Lazenby for this? And they went, Oh yeah, let's do it. And there he was. <laughs> wow. And this is right after he had been Bond. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, th- this was actually in 1985. Okay. So he hadn't been Bond in in a long time. Wow. But, but he was great. I mean, that's but also still, it's like George Lazenby. You know, he, he one played. Bond a, film. He played a British Secret Service. Yeah. Agent. So you yep. you can have him in there. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, and uh, backtracking a little bit with the adaptation <clears throat> question, like how. You know, you're talking about wedding people, you know, how people have wedded to certain details in yeah. the stories. Yes. What uh, kind of process do you, as well as the other writers and people you work with, decide which ones you find more important to put in or include or, you know, like, because, you know, going to make a certain time limit and all that. My only answer is instinct on that. Mm. I mean, you you read what they did. There are certain things that jump out at you. And then there are certain sections that are maybe just kind of expository or unnecessary. Yeah. Um, in... Um, pub, in Public Enemies, remember Public Enemies was coming out as a, as a contemporary thing. It came out issue after issue. Yeah, 
And at the same time it was coming out, there was all sorts of other things going on in the DC world. Yeah. So there's a moment in the comic book where the old Superman shows up. Okay. And it made sense, you know, in the run of the comic book, because if you were, you know, reading it when it would, when it was coming out, you'd, you'd say, yeah, this is great. You know, and this is tying into the other part of it. But if you're doing a standalone, that has to go. Yeah. Because it just seems like. It's out of nowhere. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, okay. Yeah, this sounds like a, another challenge of adaptation, especially when you have long form comic book stories where like, you know, they're connected to all these different things. And sometimes they're part of like tie in events or like big crossover events. So how, you know, choosing what to have and what to have in there to make sure it's standalone. Well, it's a lot of, a lot of adaptation is really editing, mm-hmm. especially on New Frontier. Mm. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of that had to be cut. I mean, they talked about making mm. it a two-parter, but I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out where part one would end mm. and part two would begin. I, Cause mm. really to me, Justice League, New Frontier is really the Green Lantern origin story. Yeah, it is. It's a great, I, I, that's what I really liked about it. I, so I never read the comic book New Frontier, but I, I watched the film and I was like, this is a great origin yeah. story just for him because you see him get the ring and then get thrown into this world of heroes. And, you know, it serves as well as like the, the change of, you know, Batman's like how he, you know, went for the purple gloves to the, the gauntlet. The costume. Yeah, yeah. And then how, you know, the world viewed Superman as well as uh, Diana coming back into mm-hmm. the world. So like I, and also Marsh Manhunter. Too. Yeah. A little bit of Martian Manhunter. So it's like, it was his full origin. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, I think it's a wonderful film and like, yeah, choosing what bits to put in there, but also, you know, keeping certain elements that tied it to, I guess, the time it came out in because, you know, there's speeches. No, no. This one, this one was um, completely sealed. It was his own, it was its own thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it didn't tie into anything else that was coming out at that time. Mm-hmm. What Darwin was doing was hard enough, which is to, tie in all of the DC heroes and then tie that into what was going on in the world uh, at the dawn of the Silver Age, which would have been starting in the early 50s. Yeah, because mm-hmm. at the very end, there's the speech. Of, the, the John Kennedy speech yeah. that, that we got. I, I, which, it's in a weird way. Like, I remember watching the film. That's, like, one of my favorite parts because you see how all the characters grow and they grow through time and then yeah. it leaves on a really nice, you know, justice and hope, you know, note. Because <laughs> as long as like villains will be there, then the heroes will still be there too. So I'm kind of on the flip side because I am of the uncultured. Um, <laughs> with Batman Beyond, Batman Beyond, of course, was using some of the old animated series and some of what was going on in DC Animated. But it was essentially something that you guys could build. Towards kind of- the end, towards the end, Batman Beyond became more integrated. Yeah. But it, for the first, what, 50 episodes or at least, it was just, they were all in their own world. And there was, there, I didn't seem to be any crossovers at that point. I think the biggest notes were like, uh, you know, you had some old characters, so like Freeze, Bane, um, you had uh, uh, Ray Shal Ghul, Talia yeah. Al Ghul. Well, yeah, at the time, you know, time didn't mean too much to him. Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, and then, you know, the whole end of the Batman Beyond doesn't get wrapped up until Justice League. Right. With epilogue. Which that was not planned at the beginning, yeah. of course. But, uh, <clears throat> Well, I mean, I guess the, my thought is, is there a little bit more freedom when you have something like that, when you're like, you're using, you're using characters as source material, but then you kind of get to almost, it's almost like you get to write your own comic book. Or TV show. Yeah. yeah or for, a TV for show. For Batman Beyond. Yeah. That was the case. That was the most freedom I've had uh, in, in writing TV animation. Wow. Um, Do you have much resistance for any... Like super Decision. original ideas, or we never did they want any, you to we stick with Batman? We hardly ever got any notes. It's great. Really, um, 
I don't even know who the network guy was. <laughs> wow. That yeah. means you know you hardly well, ever heard. Sid, Sid was this Sid Iwaner was the network exec on that first Batman animated. Mm-hmm. And also the network exec on X-Men and Spider-Man because they were all initially on Fox, Perfect. all three of those. Mm-hmm. That, but then Batman moved over to to WB, the kids WB. Um but I remember that. I remember I got I always got a lot of notes from Sid when we were on um uh, Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but on this other stuff, I, I I honestly don't remember if there were any anybody gave us notes. Wow! Wow! On Justice League on Cartoon Network, it was even less. Wow! Really? It sounds like they trusted you. Well, we were doing we were doing an Aquaman story, mm-hmm. and um, just how, how Aquaman had the hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. in a trap, and he had, he's the world's going to end. Believe- he has to he cuts off his own hand. To save his and, and, child. The, and, the, and the guy from, and the guy from um, Cartoon Network said, "You know, you're not going to actually show the hand being severed on screen, are you?" And went, "No." And he goes, "Okay, that's my own." Wow. wow. But it's it's <laughs> a really it's really well I, done. I, I, I do yeah. I do take it back a little bit. Um, at some point when we did Return of the Joker, mm-hmm. which was Batman Beyond, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, a new person had taken over. Um, uh, the kids WB. Okay. And you, you probably know about this. Some, I can't even remember. Somebody was killed in it. In the, in the show. In, in, the, in Return of the Joker. Oh yeah. It was Bron- or Bonk or, uh, no, it was one of the, the main clown dudes and it was with the, oh, a, a gun and they, right. and they edited it to have a, an, to have gas instead. Cause he shot him with the bang. The Joker shot him with a bang gun and shot this little thing, a dart. And then in, I think the uncut version, he shoots it again and then actually shoots the yeah, dart out. And Cause then, that, that was a note that, mm, that happened because of the note from the new the new person uh, at the kids WB, and mm. that also happened. She freaked out. I mean, she said, "Look, we're not gonna, we're not even gonna publicize this thing unless you get rid of that that killing thing." Wow. That happened wow. on three occasions, I think. Uh, in the same one. In the same one, because at the end, when they do uh, uh, the the origin of what happened to Tim Drake, and then how he got taken over by the Joker, and then he, in the released VHS that I own, uh, in the black clamshell. Uh, they have it where uh, Tim Drake pushes him into this electric chair thing, and then that's how he dies. But then I think of the you know suppose the real written one the way it was is uh, he has the same bang gun and shoots him, and that's how he dies. And then mm. Joker and then Mark Hamill you know says that's not funny and dies. That was a huge oh, yeah. that was that that censorship was a big big deal. It's interesting. I I didn't know about that until like way after I watched it, and I was like. Whoa, whoa, what happened? Because I remember there are certain parts where, like, you know, and during that same flashback, you know, Kevin Conroy, Batman, and Mark Hamill's Joker, they're, like, beating each other back and forth. But then uh, there's a point where Joker does kind of like this rope-a-dope, puts one hand up, and then Batman looks at it, but then the other hand, like, punches him. Mm-hmm. And I think the original story or the original writing was that he had a knife and stabs Batman, and then Batman falls down this like, bl- these giant, like, ABC blocks. Oh, yeah. And then that's when he's, like, paralyzed and can't move. The, the reason that it was wow. written that violently was we just thought well this is a dvd mm-hmm. you know that, that won't go on the network we can do whatever we want <laughs> <laughs> well there are limits that, <laughs> there are limits that we impose i mean some of the people who write these things have kids and mm-hmm. oh yeah they knew. um but what the, the trap they fell into was it never occurred to them that that the network would then step forward because it wasn't for the network mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah the right. network the network would step in and say, you know what? If you want us to publicize this, you got to get rid of the, the killing. Wow. Interesting. 
No, I forget. I, I think mm. I saw like a clip of it online, and that's the only way I knew that of his existence. And we recently just did, you know, Batman had its uh, 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And then so we did an episode for at the beginning of this year. And then we had Andrea Romano on the show. Oh, and Batman then, Beyond. Yeah. yeah. I and, just saw her yeah. the other night. Yeah. She's doing good. And then we also mm-hmm. had Kevin Conroy a while back as well. So we're, we were slowly getting all the, you know, the, the <laughs> glorious, the roster. you know, DC Unity group, everyone around. Uh, I have a question, uh, kind of just expanding a little bit of the gamut. Uh, You've worked on shows such as like G.I. Joe, uh, Avengers Assemble, mm-hmm. as well as like Ben 10. Right. As a freelancer and all those. What What's that experience like? You know, these different types of characters as well as, you know, the freelance writing going into that, like compared to, you know, your other works. You, you go and you do an assignment. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what I find really helpful is that on most of those shows, the, um, the, the the head writers will give you a premise that's fairly well detailed. Okay. And that's, okay. The, that's the hardest part of an episode, really. But they have to do it because so much stuff now is serialized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ben 10 was freestanding, but they had kind of themes that went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Ben 10. I, I got that in China. Oh. I was in, in China earlier this year. Okay. And, and, I mean, this stuff is known throughout the world. Mm-hmm. I was doing... Um, uh, comic book I, I actually I, I shouldn't say that I was doing it but I was consulting on a comic book um, that required a trip to El Salvador oh really? yeah, wow. that, that was a year ago required a trip yes for research that's awesome I mean and is it awesome? and, and we <laughs> talked to we in doing the research we talked to a guy who had been an ms-13 oh wow and this guy uh, he did the whole interview in Spanish talking about what it was like and how to get out of it and then the the translator said, these people who you've been talking to, they did the Batman cartoon. And then in English, the guy, the MS-13 guy goes, I love Batman. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So this stuff is all over the world, mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a, a comic convention in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Okay. And some wow. a young girl who worked at the Virgin Megastore in, in Jeddah said, you know, reading about Bruce Wayne, it really helped me get through my adolescence. Mm. That's awesome. I'm yeah. Like, it's just everywhere. Affecting lives. In China, as I said. I mean, on top of that, you know, Saudi Arabia, you, you know, work on comic books, uh, so, uh, working, Saudi girls. Re- working on one of those right now. Thank you for the plug. No, I, I remember you talked about it at Comic-Con, and uh, I remember, like, it was kind of explicitly, you are like, it sounds like it potentially could be highly political, but there's a lot of great stories, and I think there's, like, several different comics. Yeah, it's a whole world. I mean, it, the, the guy who runs the company is called Fahd mm-hmm. al Saud. Uh, and the only place you can really find out about it now is is SaudiGirlsRevolution.com. And talking about having having a lot of um, freedom to write, I mean, it's it's been great writing for them. I'm, we're working on something right now. The closest thing that I can tell you that you'd know about to what I'm doing would be the time machine from the point of view of the Morlocks. Mm, that's cool. Except they're not really Morlocks. They're they're more human yeah hmm. um, and, and the morlocks tend to live in the upper world so for our audience at home or listening or watching right now uh saudi girls revolution.com has several comic books several so new kingdom latifa 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 it, yeah as well as i am infidel uh can you give us a little bit of explanation of any of these you know well, fod fod created it he, mm-hmm. it's it he's he was um uh, he described himself as a, a Stanford frat boy. Okay. He was born in Saudi Arabia, educated here, and a businessman. And he loved Marvel. He was a Marvel guy. Okay. 
and he's created this gigantic, vast world. It's a post-apocalyptic Arabian Peninsula. Oh, so interesting. Much of the culture's gone and sort of rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been great working for him. I mean, let lets you do whatever you want. It looks interesting. The art looks fantastic. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I got on my... Uh, you got some Latifah you're looking at? Uh, we got some Latifah and I Am Infidel and New Kingdom. And New Kingdom, I mean, so you, all... Yeah. New Kingdom, I just finished the script on, so I don't... I'm, He's like, show me the art. The art. <laughs> oh, uh, I, see. I just have it on the website. It just says, you know, uh, you know. It could just be cover. It's a cover. It's a yeah, cover, right? Cover. Yeah. So, like, I, I remember before the episode, I tried to like find it, try to you know download it, read it. And I think they have Latifa one on yeah, Comicsology. I wrote that yeah. with Fod. Mm-hmm. So that that was our first collaboration. That's awesome. And so that one that she that's a character with the sword, right? Yeah, yeah. And the sword's like an AI. Yeah, it talks. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I just like read as much as I can. I was like, I don't know, and so I'm well, hoping you can. In, in, split. in terms of tone, it's um, the closest thing I can think of that you you all would know would be the um, most recent Mad Max movie. Okay, Fury Road. Oh yeah, yeah. but okay. without Max. All right, so Furiosa. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So as you might guess from the title of the website, Fod is very interested in in um, helping women gain more rights. That's awesome. So heck yeah! So yeah, all the story, all <laughs> the all different, three of them, all the comic books uh, usually you know, have a main character story, like New Female. Kingdom specifically. New Kingdom is going to be seven issues, and that follows a girl who's you know lives in a she's one of the the, uh, the not the non morlocks. Oh, okay, so in the underground, but then rises up, and she has like a half human, half animal, half, half robot. Half. Right. Yeah. So there's three halves. Compa- component. <laughs> three, three halves. Yeah. So Gen- genetically engineered and then cybernetic. Yeah. And so I mean, yeah. There's like these, and are these all connected stories at all, or are these are going to be their own? You the, know? See, Fod created a gigantic world, mm-hmm. and he set it all spinning, and they all live in the same world. Okay. Some of them don't come in contact with each other. Maybe different times or something like that. Like not different times. It's all. It all focuses around one huge event. Okay. Um, in this, in New Kingdom, though, it does, it begins around now, and then it just follows generation after generation okay. to, to the contemporary story. That's awesome. So it's, it's a huge world, and he's bringing in lots of different writers and artists to, to help realize it. Wow. I might check this out. This looks really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. how, how did you get, uh, you know, uh, get Fri- a friend of a friend? Same, of a friend. same, same old way. How it always happens. <laughs> Every single one of your stories. How does it? Just, you should you know? do, well, it's because I, I was. <laughs> no people. I'd worked on a show called The 99. Okay. Uh, which was set in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And someone who knew me from that said, oh, well, you know, he's a Middle Easterner. Maybe, you know, you could do it. Maybe you could work with him. And I did, but the, the, the Middle East of Saudi Girls Revolution is very, very different from the one of today. Mm-hmm. It's a post, post-apocalyptic environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, they just said they're, they're starting the artwork now. So I'm That's really, awesome. really excited. That's exciting. Yeah, so I'm on, yeah, I'm on the website, and uh, yeah, most things are just coming soon. So coming they're not, soon. Okay, so they're not available yet. No. Okay. So Latifah is. And yeah, issue one's on Comixology. Is it where do you where would they be? Will they be in like brick and mortar stores? Just, I hope so. But go to the, go to the website. And okay, cool. that's the best place right. to go to. <laughs> SaudiGirlsRevolution dot com. Well, I mean, uh, kind of going on, kind of hinting at what you were just saying of saying like a, you were saying it's kind of the way that it goes. Knowing 
some like a friend of a friend kind of thing. Yeah. With everything that you've had in your life, like daytime Emmys, you've got the Lifetime Achievement Award with WGA. That was like a funeral. <laughs> what? It's like attending your own funeral, like yeah. a memorial service. Really? Oh, man. Yeah. People, well, I started, I mean, I, part of the reason I got that WGA award was, or maybe most of the reason, was for trying to get more animation covered by the Writers Guild. Because some mm. of it's covered by the Writers Guild of Canada, some of it's covered by the Writers Guild of America, some of it's covered by um, the, the Crew Union, which is IATSE, and some of it's not covered at all. Wow. So it, having a union is good. You have a friend who's having the, the missing person here is having eye surgery. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really good when medical insurance covered for uh, medical insurance you've gotten through your union pays for your medical bills. Yeah, um, yeah. Trust me on that one, guys <laughs> and girls. So it, it will be it, it will be very helpful. What? But anyway, so so the reason I got that was that, and I wanted to use the the ceremony to talk about organizing more. And at some point, I think it was Bob Goodman just said, you know what? We've been answering these questions about unionization. I just want to tell you what a great guy you are. Oh. And then it just, it, it was exactly like a memorial service, except I wasn't dead. <laughs> oh my People gosh. talking about you in the Well, the other, you know, your, your, friend, your friends who are there, yeah. they chip in, they tell you what a great guy you are. And it, it really felt like, at a certain point, it just went, oh my God, this is what my funeral would be like. So, so I told my wife, no funeral. No, <laughs> no funeral. funeral. Just give you a I feel like I already award. had no, it just, just now. Just cremate me. Dump me, in San, <laughs> dump, dump me in Santa Monica Bay. What? Well, wow. That's actually in the will. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, so with all of your achievements, could you say that you have rules for success that you would tell young writers or aspiring people? Yes, I can tell you one story. Rather than giving out rules, I can tell you a story. Yes, please. Okay. Yes. Um, many years ago, right out of film school, it's like, well, here I am. Hire me to be a director, please. Yeah, yeah right. I know exactly. Did, I went to film school. I, yeah. yeah. Which, which one did you go to? I went to uh, Sacramento State and I studied in film production. UCLA for me. Okay. Local. Uh, uh, <laughs> lo- lo- local boy. Anyway, um, so the best job I could get was working for Russ Meyer as a grip on one of his films. And that's a non-union, totally non-union, except for the actors. And, you know, it's a tiny, tiny crew. You see, you know, when you see, when you go by a, a film site, you see like all these people and some of them are standing around. Most of my there's like six people. That's a whole crew of six people. Wow. And um, one night we were, we were about to head out to a location and I had to go home to pack and I was in a hurry to get out and they were sitting there arguing about where they're going to buy the batteries for the sound recorder. Mm. Do we go to this thrifties? Do we go to that thrifties? This one might be closed. So I go like that. I look at my watch because no, I need to get back home to pack for the next day. And Meyer just blew up at me, blew up, you know, like this is important stuff we're doing. And I realized at that point that the business you're in film isn't a nine to five job. It's a five to nine job. Yes. Uh-huh. And Ugh. when I left the next day, I left my wristwatch at home. <laughs> wow. Because I knew that every minute of my time, the company owned. If you have that attitude, I think it would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I, I cannot guarantee you that it'll give you talent though. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a good point. It's kind of making sure that the the project you're on or whoever you're working with, their time is the priority. 100%. I mm. mean, sometimes as a freelancer, you find yourself working on two different projects. Yes, sir. And I hate doing that because you can't really give yourself. Yeah. You can't give of yourself entirely to, to the one thing. Your attention's one, divided. Yeah, you're one yeah. foot in, one foot out. You don't know where you want to be. Yeah, and your employer, 
even if no. you're just a lousy freelancer, he wants you to be doing that thing all the time. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all you'll do. Yeah. So devote the time in. All of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're completely in. Hmm. I mean, I know, hmm. I've seen the opposite happen where, yeah, you know, I'll work in the office job part-time and I'll do my script part-time and blah, blah, blah. doesn't work. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's tough. It's it's a hard because it's a it's a right now you know especially with anything it's always a risk and you know the the office job and the writing the script on the side is kind of like you know the convenient thing but then you know if you did, dedicate the time the hours and the days and the nights and they all blend to one hopefully they aggregate into you know where you just you know you just meet somebody <laughs> well you yeah I mean you, you film school is good for that mm -hmm. I mean you do meet people and then yeah. they, they end up hiring you and I've always said it's not because I because I went to acting school as well and they always used to say. The old cliche is it's who you know, and it's really who knows you too. Like yeah. it's you, it's you. It's, it, a, yeah. it's a circle of like somebody might think of you. Oh yeah, I actually I know somebody who does that. Which is why you always have to be acting and working all the time and yeah. being being visible. Beyond, yeah. beyond. I have a like a random kind of off topic because I read I was doing a little bit of research about you. Mm -hmm. um, what is a film preservationist? Because you did that at one point, correct? Yeah, sort of. What? <laughs> he says with such pride. So this is one of those, you know, one freelancer. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm denigrating my own capabilities mm -hmm. in that area. Oh, okay. Um, the company, a teacher of mine from film school, uh, right after film school, he, he quit UCLA and formed his own post-production company doing um, short educational films. And they needed some reason this the, the films were already made but they didn't have narr narrations so a another teacher of mine from ucla recommended me and some others to write the narrations so that's how i i got involved with that company and then the company kind of morphed um from doing post-production to eventually preserving film hmm. so what what does it do yeah, what is that um, a lot of it is just you know getting old negatives sometimes nitrate oh wow and going over them and you know, trying to physically um, make sure the sprockets will run through a machine, mm -hmm. and then once you do that, then you make new um, you make new fine grains off the, the the negatives, and then you make new negatives off the fine grains. Wow, doesn't Whoa. exist wow. anymore. Yeah. That company it went out of business probably four or five years ago because everything now is is video. It's yeah, you know, or it's digital. It's going digital. I guess you call it digital. A company that I I work at now they only just this last year went straight to digital from, video from tape from we were doing tape. yeah so it, we were still we were still laying back to tape and <laughs> every other studio that i worked at was just send me the quick time video yeah and now it was like this is it's such a totally different experience a few years ago i met a guy who's older younger than me but older than all of you who is a uh, cinematographer mm -hmm. and i said just out of curiosity um have you ever used film and he goes, no, yeah, never. Yeah, it's just all, all on a wow. you know, digital media. As yeah. an audio guy, like I, uh, my teachers in audio school, they were always talking about the way that they used to mix records and film. Oh yeah, on on tape, and it's like, I I won't get to experience that because I would just love to see. Good it. riddance to it. <laughs> no, I mean seriously. In in that film company I worked at, yeah, you know, you you you'd get a thirty five millimeter negative, and you you know you'd make whatever cuts you'd have to, and You'd, you'd sit with tape. Cut your fingers, they always no. used to say. No? 
No. <laughs> I Only if do. you sucked, I guess. Th- th- this is something else. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I, um, you know, you you'd use tape to to repair the sprockets that are damaged, and then you'd run it in the dark room through the printer, making a clean copy of it. Mm. Um, and then it would be developed in that same building. So there's this giant tank of chemicals. And God knows what the chemicals are, did or, or, or are doing now to my lungs. Yeah. But, you know, the, the film would run through those. Supposedly it's well ventilated, but who knows? So good riddance to film. And also, <laughs> yeah. also those heavy, when I worked for Russ, before we, we were doing the film, I, was, I worked, in the, um, worked in his distribution office. It's the same office, just a different room. Yeah, and a film was in two big heavy cases. Oh, the reels about, about forty. Yeah, about forty pounds a piece, and then you'd have to put them up on the on the upper shelf. And you guys know what a film looks like now, right? Yeah. It's it's a it's a hard drive. It's a hard drive. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's about the size of what a uh, um, three quarter inch video disc, uh, three quarter inch videotape cassette used to look like. Yeah, yeah. Except for IMAX, they're still on film, which is really which is impressive. And I don't know if you've seen. Those IMAX, the like cameras? the giant reels the, the, of IMAX film, because oh, oh. yeah. they're like two or three inches per frame of, for IMAX film. Yeah, it's wild. It's crazy. It's pro- it's still you could probably do it better with digital. I would think probably they might have moved to digital, but I remember I think it was for the Dark Knight or something. I forgot what movie it was, mm. but it was like just Unclean. giant reels of IMAX film. Oh it's massive. And crazy. There's no point to it anymore. I mean, no. a couple of New Year's ago, my wife and I saw Singing in the Rain mm. in San Francisco. And I just out of curiosity, I asked one of the people at the theater, so were we watching film or were we watching video? And they got in an argument. They didn't know at their own theater yeah. what they were running. <laughs> Whoa. Did you oh. plug something you, in and press play or you did you move tell. film? <laughs> but but the way you could tell is they didn't have those little um, projector changeover. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I haven't seen those in a very yeah, I know. long time. I know. <laughs> all gone uh, i do want to have one question we will have like a, a last year question but i do one one bonus question uh one of the uh junkets you were talking about batman beyond and we we're talking you know it's coming out soon and uh remastered on october 29th for the box set but you kind of mentioned a little bit about the there was murmurs and there was a script for um a live action e- either a script or a treatment, a treatment. No, I, I, I never saw either one but i <sighs> I knew what was going on. You I mean, heard about it, yeah. No, no, Alan and I was in the same office. Alan and Paul and Boaz Yakin were writing this together. Oh, right, and, right. And Boaz, who did Remember the Titans. Yes. And so, I mean. Nice guy, really nice guy. Did you have any, and it would have been like a live action version, and this was around the time that Batman Beyond was going on yeah, at yeah. the same time. So. And they already had someone slated to be. Uh, well, no, that was a rumor that I might have started. No, I, <laughs> you no, started I, actually, the rumor. No, no, I read it, I read it somewhere on the internet. Some Somebody had by coincidence was standing in a movie theater line near Paul Newman. Mm, oh yeah. And, and Newman was talking about, well, they want me for this Batman thing, you know, as Bruce Wayne. So it, wow. would, have, it would have been Paul Newman. I think. Uh, Maybe. Cool. Interesting. Wow. I mean, in your, you know, from your experience as well as, you know, sitting around and, you know, meeting everyone, like what do you, what your thoughts would have been or your, your ideas, you know, what that would have made the, you know, big story. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the story was. Mm. Um, supposedly the, the, the rumor, you could talk to Alan Burnett about this or Paul Dini. Um, can we bring him on the show with you <laughs> next time? <laughs> they, they know, <laughs> each of them is worth a show on their own. Okay. Yeah. Or, hey. or more than that. Please. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, Alan lives in Florida now, but mm. Paul, Paul's right here in mm. Burbank. Ooh. Um, 
I don't know what the storyline was, but the rumor was that it was, it would have been R rated. Um, Whoa. And the studio would not have, that would have been too much for the studio. At that time they were, you know, the the Joker was just a little glint in their eye at that point. Mm -hmm. If, if that, um, and you know, a superhero show rated R would have been, um, something that the studio probably would have considered to be, um, problematic oh, in terms blasphemous? of box office. <laughs> no, been, not yeah. blasphemous. Just just like, well, we're gonna cut out office, we're gonna yeah. cut out, you know, two thirds of our audience. So right. Don't want to do that. Too wow. dangerous. Mm-hmm. So with all of the the what we like to do in our shows, we we don't want to just talk about your career. We want to talk about stuff that you're a fan of too. We and, haven't already done that. <laughs> I mean like growing up, you talked about comic books. You like what are what are you a fan of now? And like what are you still a fan of? Are you still a reader of comic books? Are you still what kind of fan are you now? I, I read comic books for work. Oh yeah? Yeah. So you don't mm-hmm. do it in personal time? Um, very rarely. I mean if there's something really weird and unusual, like a Frank Miller thing, I'll okay. yeah. I'll try to locate that. Or um Alex Ross. I love our, um, Alex's artwork. We tried to get him for Saudi girls. He was just too busy. Okay. Mm. Um, but no, I'm not. I don't read comic books all the time. Okay. Movies? Any TV shows you like? Comedies. 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 Comedy what was the most recent yeah. one? And, and, and not the kind of comedies you're thinking of. Oh. It, it's um, oh. like no, a Daily Show, Bill okay. Maher. Oh, oh okay. yeah. John, yeah, nice. Al- John Oliver. Okay. So like talk variety shows a bit. Yeah. Okay. Um. Watch baseball during the season. Team? The sports. Dodgers, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> represent. Yeah, represent. I, I see. Yeah. That's okay. No, I grew up in that. I mean, it, sure. yeah. so, somehow when you're eight years old, it, 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 a lot of your tastes come right into being at that point. Mm. It's hard to escape the culture of local teams and local fandoms. And, yeah. But, you know, yeah. part of it too is a family thing. Like your dad yeah. sits down yeah. with you and yeah. explains that, you know, when when the batter is running to first base and he leaves the bat at home, he doesn't go home with the bat, leave it there, and then run to first base. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that was helpful. I remember being told He brought his bat to the game. He remembered. <laughs> yeah. So there's that nostalgic element, too. Yeah. Okay. Any, uh, fa- what's your favorite movie? I don't, I'm, there's just too many. Too oh. many. Um, All of them. <laughs> I, I tend, I tend to record um, a lot of film noir stuff. Okay. Mm. The, uh, they just ran this gun for hire on uh, TCM, on their film noir oh, program. Oh, that's awesome. So I record that. Um, my wife, I'm, I'm sort of educating her on film noir because she hadn't seen much of it. You're doing the good work. She mm. like pick up on South Street, Richard oh, Woodmark. Nice. So a, a lot of, I was the other thing I watch is old black and white movies. Nice. Usually film noir, detective, um, westerns. Okay. And and old comedies too, Marx Brothers. Classics. W.C. Fields. I mean, yeah. Very nice. What we would consider classics, yeah, yeah, and occasionally weird things. My wife, we alternate, so she she'll find something she wants to see, and it's, it's to me, it's always completely out of the blue. Did you guys see the Romanoffs, uh, Romanoffs. Matt, Matt Weiner's series that he did after Matt Mad Men? No, oh, no. I saw a couple of episodes. Yeah, did you? Just, I heard. I didn't. It. I, there were other stuff. So she <laughs> she, she picked those two last night. So oh, we, that's great. We watched, huh. we watched the the two the first two episodes. What did you think? I thought they were great. So maybe you might, you know, move towards what she might be watching to watch now. Not so much black and whites and westerns. Well, you know, we, we each have our night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take turns. Yeah. Because she, she, it, it is interesting because I, I would never, 
we had the discs for the Romanoffs just sitting there for at least a year. Mm. And it just didn't occur to me to grab them. And then she, for some reason, she saw it and said, oh, we should look at this. Mm. And the, it's not a series. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the freestanding stories. And the only thing that unites them is that people have the same last name. Yeah, it's like anthological. Right. Completely an, in, set in different places, mm-hmm. different ages, different actors, completely huh. different and, and really interesting stories. A lot of people like that. That's kind of becoming a really self-contained. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like uh, well, uh, something... Twilight Zone was really big with that at first, but then, you know, Black Mirror is doing it. And then also they do uh, Love, Death, Robots is doing it right now. Yep. So a lot of anthologies are like it, becoming it, really it, popular now. Well, that's good because yeah. they're, they're more fun to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were talking about, you know, compared well, well, you to know, as a, For example, freedom. as a freelancer, I'm stepping into a series mm-hmm. and they go, you know, uh, right here is where the story begins and, you know, the Hulk is missing. Mm-hmm. And then he, get it to here where there's a red Hulk. Okay. And don't do anything else, you know, and I, I might not even know what happened before or what happens afterwards. I have, a, I have sort of a general idea. But that, that's what happens when you're a freelancer. You're, you're, you're part of a train. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yep. when you when and when the episodes are freestanding, you have you 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 have a little bit more um, a free reign of imagination. Yeah, you kind of just like ra- use the characters and round them to the way that you want to just tell one particular story and then call it a day. If you can, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and, and there's a certain satisfaction in a beginning, middle, and end in in 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Or, or in the case of the comic book I'm doing now, in seven, yeah, in seven issues, issues. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you kind of had that experience as well with you know different storylines that you did with Justice League as well, like doing like Secret Society or like Better Tomorrow with like the Justice Lords. You know, like they were just two, those, that was just a two parter. Yeah, exactly. It was a two part, but like it's still like a all contained like yeah. that later on would have implications for later seasons for Justice League Unlimited, which was yeah. great. But like it was just well, here's a story and that's it. And then it's like, cool. And it's like, and then they don't mention it at all. Justice but. League Unlimited started purely as an anthological thing. Did it? Yep. And we were going to bring in, it was exciting because we were going to bring in writers who were um, comic book people also from all sorts of different worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even tried to get Salman Rushdie. Oh, wow. Really? I, I went up to him at a reading and I said, I heard you're a fan of Justice League. I have a friend, call my friend Dwayne McDuffie. Oh, Here's Dwayne. his number. Here's his number. And then Dwayne said he never called. Oh. His loss. Oh. Yeah. Because <laughs> at the time, Rushdie had little kids. And I thought, well, you know, you, if he grew up on it, what about the kids? So mm-hmm. that was the initial plan for, for that, just freestanding half hours. And so in the early- You can feel it. Yeah. In the early yeah. season, you, you see that. It's just um, worn in it. Ennis? Ellis? Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis. Warren, Warren Ellis did the thing with the atom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Palmer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roy, Roy Palmer. Ray, Ray, Ray Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. yeah. He did that. And that was an example of a freestanding one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it became more. Yeah. And it the, just what happened was that a lot of the, these new people, I, they weren't new people. They were older people who were successful in other areas. They didn't really deliver. Oh. So at a, at a certain point, it was like, you know, let's <laughs> just go back. Let's go back to the way yeah. we had it. Interesting. Yeah, because... Let, it, let's No, let's make it serialized. 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 I, I remember when it be, first began, the first episode starts with like just the newer heroes and then Green Arrow mm-hmm. is the one that kind of introduces like, right. hey, we have the street level people. Now we're joining this whole team right. of people. And then you would have that for the first like few rounds. You'd have Hawk mm-hmm. and Dove, you'd have The Question, you'd have Vigilante, right. all these other things. And it's like you have the, you have the core just as like there are... It, you know, I think one point Superman gives a speech to like all the heroes. Yeah. I think, like, was the that first the first one? Episode. I, I believe so. that's the first one. And so it's kind of like giving... 
the audience and the writers like free reign, I feel like the blessing to go do what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been did. interesting. And we did for a while. And then yeah. it's just, <laughs> it would have been interesting to see how, if it kept that way. But interesting, yeah. it felt, I don't know, for me, maybe because I was just young and I had these nostalgia glasses on, but it felt so organic in that sense where I was like, cool, we're going to get this extended roster and then they're going to be part of the alpha team, the Bravo team. And, you know, when they go on this, you know, adventure, we're going to have, you know, we'll have this person come along and do that stuff. Yeah, in Unlimited, yeah. the idea was we have Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman. The Trinity got to have at least one at least one of them in every episode yeah i remember uh i forget which episode but the name of it but it was the one it was a girls fight and it was just like the gladiator fight in room and then it just got from like black canary to hawk girl and then to oh, the yeah. end diana and you had like the new team of girls so i think you had uh i forget the the character with the the amulet who can channel different animals oh uh, and then you had uh oh i know that yeah right and then i think you had a uh, huntress that vibe no. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, we all know the character, but then also yeah. you had like Huntress as well as, you know, Canary was in there for sure. But yeah, I was like, oh, that's cool. And, and it was just an all-girls episode. And, but and, and before that, Dwayne and I did a two-parter that was just Hot Girl and Wonder Woman. Girl, all the men were getting sick and dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it was uh, Cersei. Cersei who, who created that poison that like infected all the guys. And so it, it, was, interesting. it was just the, the two the two women. Mm -hmm. uh, Vixen. Vixen with the... Vixen, you're yeah, right. The Female fox. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That's a good mm -hmm. one. So um, here's a good one for you. Yes, sir. Um, when we started on Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl, mm -hmm. it's like the problem with DC is that the characters are pretty much interchangeable in terms mm -hmm. of voices. I mean, you could take those bubbles and just switch them around. And okay. That, that was a problem I encountered. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So I said, Rich, if we're... Rich Fogel... I said, if we're doing one with these, with just Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl, how are they different? He goes, Stan, let me put it this way. <laughs> Hawkgirl's been married oh. and Wonder Woman isn't. Oh. oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. I mean, there's it, a knowledgeability it, and more, more sophistication and naivete on the part of Wonder Woman. And especially when you, especially with the show, how it went on, because you started with first the move, you know, the three, you know, opening with the Martian Manhunter, you did Justice League, and then it ended with Justice League Starcrossed. And then it had the storyline with right. Shaira, with, Kate, right, with she, I forget his name, the she, other Hawkman. She's cheating. Yeah, with Jon Stewart. And then so, you know, she gets ousted from the beginning right. of Justice League Unlimited. And then when you slowly start rolling her back in, because she's hanging out with Dr. Fate and Solomon Grundy, as well as other magic people. So it's kind of like this weird, you know, person who betrayed but also like hey we're the only people that like are you know and that's the cool thing about what you did with the what you guys did with the the, the six original members is like when they're together nothing's stopping them <laughs> and then so it's like these two you know women have to like help the rest of the world super dope super dope uh well stan thank you so much for taking yeah. your time yeah. to be here and um thank you yeah so beside so we have saudi girls revolution Definitely, we'll link that in the in the episode notes. Was there anything else that you wanted our just, audience to check that out? Just the Batman Beyond, yeah, yeah, it's coming out. I think, I think out. they'll like it a lot. This, you know, when you set something in a different time, it it doesn't age like, you know, stuff that's contemporary. Yeah, yeah. holds up because it's. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, the most fun I've had in animation has been on Batman Beyond. I think. That's me too. Awesome. Me, me too. Oh. <laughs> me too. Yeah. You worked on it too. No, no, no. but, uh, but in terms of working, I worked on watching it. It's the most fun. T Terry McGinnis is my favorite Batman. I mean, Kevin Conroy will always, you know, in that version. But Bat Terry McGinnis was always my favorite. Really? Because he, uh, you know, as you now know, I loved Spider Man and then I loved Batman, and so he, I felt he was kind of like the best of both worlds, where he was juggling the alternate identity, the girlfriend, the High mom, the brother, the friend Max, who might have been Robin, might have not been Robin. Uh, we so, tried to kill her. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I think the reasons that Batman Beyond is successful is that it's it's a very different kind of a hero because both both characters are incomplete. Mm-hmm. Mm. Terry's no good without Bruce. Bruce is no good without Terry. And usually a hero is on his own. I mean, a hero can stand on his own. These two needed each other. They were kind of resentful of the fact that they needed each other. And I think that you don't really see that kind of relationship very often. Yeah, um, you don't. In, in superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's very distinctive compared to like the Dick Grayson, Bruce Wayne dynamic because that was very much almost a surrogate father, but also kind of their partner, closer to partners as well. But this is, you know, as epilogue showed, they are biological in some sense. And, you know, Terry, again, he is, he is as much as Dick Grayson is, but as much as Bruce Wayne is too. So he's kind of like the nice middle ground between them. So he can rebel against Bruce in a way that teaches Bruce. So that's, uh, I thought that was, yeah. I, I just love that. Still capable of learning it, even mm-hmm. at that old age. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, w- w- just in a random thing, what, what would you want to do further on? Because, you know, I think at the announcement, Bruce Tim said, like, if there's a lot of good feedback with it, you know, there's a potential to come back. That'd be great. <laughs> but, 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 but they've already, they've already given, I think, too much information about them. Ooh. No, I mean, you're just based on what, what, what has already been um, presented. Made. Yeah. You, uh-huh. you know too much. I like, I like the original relationship where, you know, it's the older guy and the, the apprentice, the novice apprentice, mm-hmm. that relationship I, to me worked very well and was very easy to write for and a lot of fun. I mean, also for me in particular, because, you know, I, I was sort of right in between the ages of the two of them, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, I still remember what it was like to be that age, but, and I could kind of get a sense of what it would be like to be, to be Bruce's age. Yeah. So it, it, I, I felt very comfortable. Unique perspective, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You just do it where Bruce dies. And then Terry has to be, you know, the Batman by himself. Wow. <laughs> Spoiler wow. for the new episode one. <laughs> no, it's, it's a potential. You well, we always... did, we did, I did talk about that somewhere. Uh, I believe that there's, you know, always ideas like where it could potentially go. Because I think when yeah, that... Bruce, big... Bruce has to die. That would be quite the hook. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, eventually, I mean, it, it's just the nature of, of nature life. Of humanity. Humanity, yeah. yeah. No matter what, you die. But he's not human. <laughs> he's Batman. He's Batman. But yeah, that'd be really interesting. And then you'd see wherever like the Batman family goes. I mean, I, you know, if, you know, as you said, they reveal a lot about uh, Matt, his brother. brother yeah. And so if he has the same genetic makeup as well, he could potentially be a Robin. And so I was like, oh, I could be, you know, in my mind, in my mind, you know, but like. Well, well you know, when, when people who don't know anything about Batman, when they just open the comic book, they go, is Robin his son? Mm, they, yeah. They always ask that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I and think then you have to explain. No, it's his ward. ward. Why would why would a single man have a young boy as a ward? And just, oh god! And then they create Batwoman to make sure you know that doesn't. And, that and on the TV good. series, it was Aunt Harriet. Yeah, they had the uh, they had that um, chaperone. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just distasteful. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really want to see something awful, look at the 1949 Batman serial. 1949 oh, no. Batman. Do you know serial. it? No. No. You really need to see. I had, it. I'm going to take a note of that. <laughs> we right will, came out bounce. came out the year I was born. Okay, and it is not just as a, a, a superhero project, but as a movie. It's one of the worst things ever made. Wow! Wow! Because part of it is squandering potential, and you guys know what the potential of Batman yeah. was. Yeah, mm-hmm. squandered completely. Made everyone on the show was just like, "Let's do the work and get home." How oh. quickly can we get home? Oh, wow. no. It was assignment. Just get out. Yeah, how quickly can we get home? Um, Batman, Creature of the Night, 
no nighttime shooting. <laughs> oh, and which villain did Batman use of of the whole Rogues Gallery? Uh, uh, I'm I'm worried to even King. know somebody with <laughs> no makeup needs probably. Clock the King. Wizard. Wow, what? the wizard. A man who just simply wears a black hood. Wow. What? It's like okay, I understand that the Joker would scare kids. That big grin. That you've looked at you know Laughing Man. Conrad Veidt, mm -hmm. right? Yes. You've seen those pictures. Mm -hmm. Yes. Scare, we don't want to scare the children. Okay, no. well, I accept that. <laughs> Penguin's lame. Riddler's lame. What about what about Catwoman? A villainess. Yeah. Would have been great. Get, and you could hide her identity, and you wouldn't know whether it was Vicky Vale or, or Ky Selena Kyle or, or maybe a third party. No, they didn't think to do that. It's just oh like, my let's just do hack work here. Oh, oh and the Batmobile? No. Oh no! Want to guess? It's a tricycle. VW Bug. It's a caddy. No, a night <laughs> Cadillac. It's a nineteen forty nine Mercury convertible. <laughs> yes. And, and Bruce and Dick drive around in the convertible during and, the day. And when they want to change into Batman and Robin, they oh, just pull the, the top. top. The top. <laughs> they just like <laughs> hold the wheel while I change my jacket. Kind of no, thing. No. There's simply nothing in it. The even in the costume, the, the Robert Lowry who plays Batman in this one. Robert Lowry is more intimidating as Bruce Wayne than he is as Batman. Wow, oh, man. Because of the costume, probably? The costume just looks so look ridiculous. It's like a, something, <laughs> something you got from a cheap costume store. Robin clearly, might have been. clearly wears one of those Lone Ranger masks. That you, yes. You could, if you're old enough, you remember being able to buy those. The five yeah, yeah, store, yeah, yeah. With the elastic thing around it. Yeah. Yeah, that's wrong. Wow. wow. Really cheap, really I, awful. I smell a bad movie night coming and as, up. As <laughs> bad so. as it was, as bad as it was, it was made in 1949. It was still in theaters as late as 1960 because I saw it in a movie theater when they had kitty matinees. They would they would run like two westerns or something. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then between them, they'd run some cartoons and the serial to keep you coming back week after week. Wow. True. Wow. I like how that activated Siri. Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> did, it? did it really? Serial yeah. Siri. That's good. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Well, so yes. that was awful. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to check that out now. Might Thank be, you might... for that golden nugget. Because oh, yes. we're going to watch that now, I, I think. I love the open so, the camera. So Saudi Girls Revolution, Batman Beyond, 1949 Batman. Batman <laughs> but somehow, I mean, as, as bad as it was, the thing was still kicking around, making money. As late as you know, eleven years after it was shot. Also, wow. read some Bond. Yeah, yeah. Also, oh, read Bond. Read Bond. Not watch read Bond. Bond. Just to get just perspective. Doctor No will be enough, I think. Doctor No. That's it. That's that a specific one. paragraph, and this, you'll be the done. Scene, the scene where she comes out of the water. Yeah, stick for that paragraph. No, I will not see this. <laughs> oh, wow. We'll get taken off the air. Well, Probably. thank you so much for joining us. Well, um, you're certainly welcome. Thank you. I had a great time. And, I'll yeah. give you some numbers of people to oh, talk to. Oh, yes, uh, please. Some future guests. We'd love that. Okay. Everybody at home, thank you so much for stopping by, listening or watching on YouTube. Uh, we really appreciate you all for stopping by. Uh, if you, uh, I lost my words. <laughs> I can do this. Share us um, with your family and friends. There it is. If you want to rate us on iTunes, we'll take that as well. We always like to hear your feedback. That stuff We're always growing. Work. If you're new to NerdOn and what we do, it's nerdon.tv. That is our website. It has all of the information mm -hmm. about us, all of the different podcasts and shows and different yeah. stuff that and we merch, do. Like, yes. uh, like, like this shirt Ooh. with our logo. Yes, yes, yes. For those that are watching a video right now mm -hmm. and can see it. If you can't see it, then go to nerdon.tv. Oh. <laughs> but uh, that's it. You know the drill. As always, NerdOn!
Broadcast.